Liz Mahan, Physician Recruitment Advisor at AAPPR, and this is the I Am AAPPR podcast series. The I Am AAPPR podcast series was created for recruitment professionals by recruitment professionals. We're virtually traveling the country, seeking out the incredible stories of our AAPPR members. This is an opportunity to showcase our pride and the unique members, corporate contributors, and offerings that come along with being a part of AAPPR. So what makes you say, I am AAPPR? Hi, I'm Liz Mayhem, Physician Recruitment Advisor for the Association for Advancing Physician and Provider Recruitment, and this is the I am AAPPR podcast. Today I'm joined by Laura Screeny. Laura is the Director of Physician Recruitment at New York Presbyterian Hospital, a program she started when she first joined the organization in 2016. Laura is one of the original members of AAPPR, or ASPR, as it was known when the association was first founded. She's a past president of AAPPR and has also served as a board member for the Northeast Physician Recruiter Association. She holds a Bachelor of Arts in Social Sciences from Stony Brook University and also has her CPRP certification from AAPPR. Welcome, Laura. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me, Liz. It's wonderful to see you. It's great to see you, too. So, Laura, tell me a little bit about your journey with AAPPR. Um, my journey started with AAPPR when nobody knew what in-house physician recruitment was. Um, I think the most common question we got at the time was, what do you mean you have to recruit physicians? Aren't they just there? Like, don't they just come with the hospital or come with the clinic or come with the health center? And what do you mean you have to recruit them? And then the next question would be, well, wait a second. So do you recruit physicians and engineers and IT people? And do you get paid on commission and, you know, the whole outside versus inside or outhouse versus in-house. So it was definitely a newer concept um, and there was nobody in my market. So I started my career in New York City. I worked for a large group practice at the time um, and there was nobody else in my, in the city or in the state of New York that did this. Wow. So the first, yeah. So the first colleagues I met in the industry were some, from places in the Midwest that I had never been to. A born and raised New Yorker, I'd flown from coast to coast, but you don't go to a lot of the states in the middle. Um, right. So I met some, some of our members, actually weren't, we were only members at the time, we didn't have an association. Um, some people from um, the Twin Cities, um, some people from New Mexico, some people from Kansas City, people from Texas, Oklahoma. Um, the rural hospital systems or rural clinics or rural health centers were the ones that seemed to jump on the bandwagon first and hire somebody that was responsible for recruiting their physicians. It was harder to get people and it still is to those markets um, when the closest city is a few hours away, the closest mall is a few hours away, um, is even harder. So those are my original colleagues in the industry. So we really started off as a group of people that just shared stuff. It was, you know, how do you do what we're doing? And if your administration said, well, can't you call the local hospital in town and, and network with them? And you were like, there's nobody there that does what I do. Um, so the people I was networking with, as I say, were from Minneapolis and Wisconsin and, and, New, and Albuquerque, New Mexico and places I had never even been. I think it's one of the, the best things about AAPPR is yeah. meeting other recruiters, other physician recruiters who do what you do 
but maybe in a slightly different way. And that sparks ideas for what you can do to continue to innovate and, and grow your own skill set. Absolutely. And the skill set is the same. And, and I think I thought what we did was so different because again, I started my career in New York City. So yep. everybody thought, oh my God, New York City, there's tons of doctors, there's tons of training programs. Why do you have to recruit? Well, I don't know about you, Liz, I know you lived in New York. Trying to pay rent in New York as a resident or a fellow or somebody just graduating with loans, a lot of people want to come to our city to train, but they can't afford to stay after they're done. Yeah. So they can make more money or be eligible for loan repayment programs if they go to rural areas, if they go to rural Montana, if they go, you know, anywhere that's outside of a city market. And we didn't have things like that in New York City. Right. So I found our skill sets were very similar. Um, you had to know your hospital. I came from operations, which I think helped me a lot. I knew health center operations. I knew hospital operations. So I can speak the language, but I also knew the area. I was born in Brooklyn. I lived in New York City for many, many years. I lived in that one bedroom, you know, walk, tiny little walk up with the broken elevator for many years. Um, I grew up in the suburbs. So I knew my market very well. So when I talked to physicians about moving to New York, it was more than just, we had facilities that were in the city and in the suburbs, but if you're a non-New Yorker, the only thing you know about New York is Times Square. Yeah. And most New Yorkers don't live in Times Square. <laughs> right, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, so it was really kind of knowing your market and, and, and really being able to represent your market and your organization. Um, and then I've been lucky enough in my career that I have lived and done physician recruitment in other places. So I've done it in, on the West Coast in California for a very large health system. I worked up in Alaska for the Alaska Native Medical Center and talk about something very different. I was a kid that was born in Brooklyn and now here I was getting to know Alaska um, and the differences up there and the different patient population that we serve. Um, I worked upstate New York, which I know you're from upstate New York. Yep. Very different recruiting in Buffalo, Rochester and Syracuse than recruiting for a hospital or health system that's in New York City. Um, but on the flip side, I found that my skill set and how I handled things was exactly the same no matter where I worked. It was very similar. You had to know the type of physician that's going to fit in with your facility. And even right now, my facilities, everybody knows Wild Cornell University, Wild Cornell Medical Center. Everybody knows Columbia University Medical Center. People have heard of New York Presbyterian. We're the number one hospital in New York City for the past 20 years. We're the number four hospital in the United States. So people know us because we have those two wonderful academic Ivy League institutions, mm -hmm. but they only know those two hospitals. They don't know the rest of our hospitals. They don't necessarily know that we have a hospital in Park Slope, Brooklyn. That's also a teaching hospital that has residency and fellowship programs. We have a hospital in Queens, again, residency and fellowship programs. We have wonderful community hospitals up in Westchester County, which are beautiful suburbs of New York City. They're not in Midtown Manhattan. They're not on the island of Manhattan. So people coming in from the outside don't necessarily know how robust our health system is and that you can have a different work-life balance depending on where you want to live and work. Um, and I don't think a lot of people realize that the breadth and width of a lot of these large organizations that we recruit for. And even some of our colleagues that are recruiting, that started recruiting for smaller hospitals, find themselves being part of now a large health system that may cover different regions of the country. So sure. they may be in the Northeast in a small hospital in Massachusetts, but they report into an organization that sits somewhere in the Midwest. Right. Um, and you're talking to people there that, again, have very different perceptions 
of your city. Um, Absolutely. As yeah. recruiters, we really are ambassadors, not only for our organization and the brand, but for the communities that yes. we serve. Absolutely. And you're Absolutely. right. It's so important to know um, not only your organization, who's going to fit well within your organization, yep. but who's going to be a fit for your community and the, the community. lifestyle that that offers. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because a very different fit for my, you know, my site in Manhattan versus a site in the suburbs where he's driving, you know, minivans. Um, it really <laughs> is. It's very, very different. Um, yeah. And that's something you're right. And the people fit into those hospitals, the personality of those hospitals, because New York is very much a city of neighborhoods and yes. every neighborhood does have its own unique personality. So the hospitals tend to take on the personality of those neighborhoods and you have to make sure somebody's comfortable and a good fit. Um, it really is like being a matchmaker and working for your chamber of commerce. Yeah. Um, kind of everything rolled into one. In New York, I don't hang out and I don't know the chamber of commerce, but if you're commuting in a small town, um, then you probably do know the Chamber of Commerce. Um, and they're probably so, a huge ally in your recruitment absolutely. in terms of the resources they have available. Absolutely. I remember years ago taking a class and somebody said, if you are not on a first name basis with the mayor of your town, then you're not doing your job. And I'm sitting in the back of the corner laughing saying, oh yeah, I hang out with the mayor of New York City all the time. We have dinner every Tuesday. But when you go and recruit in a small town, you probably do know the mayor of your town and run into them in town. Right, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. But, so but the have, premises is still the same, you know, the premise is really still the same. <laughs> absolutely. So you have incredible leadership experience from starting an association to starting a physician recruitment program in New York City. Tell us a little bit about how that journey evolved for you and, and how AAPPR led into that. Yeah, and AAPPR went into it immensely. Um, I can't say enough again about the education that even took place before we had education programs. It was us educating each other and how do you do it and what do you do and how do you get your leadership to understand what you do and what your job is. How do you get your HR department to understand that it's different than recruiting you know, a nurse or a security guard or a food service worker. Um, I started off my career, my first in-house physician recruitment department was a department of one. So you did everything. You were the head of the department, you were the coordinator, you were the secretary, you were the scheduler. So you were putting somebody on a plane, you were booking the flight. You were putting together an itinerary, you would type it up the itinerary. You were meeting the person at the train station or at the airport, and that was you doing it. So, and then you were writing, and negotiating their contract and working on the comp. Um, so I, you start off and I think whether you have a leadership title in your organization, whether you're a vice president, whether you're a director, or whether you're a physician recruiter, you are seen in a leadership position. It's a very, very visible role. It's yeah. an extremely visible role. People on your board of directors know who you are. Your chairs know who you are. Um, it's an extremely visible role. So you are a leader in your organization and getting to know other leaders in our industry. How do you put processes into place? How do you put policies and procedures into place? How do you take those best practices that you hear work from a friend or a colleague across the country and, and, and introduce them to your organization? And say, look, we have an organization that's doing it this way. And they say, well, that's not the way we do it, but it sounds great. So how do you convince them that's gonna work for your strategy? How do you get a seat at the table in your organization? when you're looking at, you're not just a rep filler, but 
how is that going to fit in? It, or is a department, does the department really have a need for another physician? Or do they have a need for another for maybe an advanced practice provider? Right. Or maybe, or or are we not using, let's take a look at our physicians and how they're working. Will they work better? Say if you're in a department of orthopedics and we add a PA or an NP to that department, does that help? So again, that's one example. But how do how do those things really help your organization and how do you look at it strategically how do you look at it from the big picture point of view and see how it's working kind of across your enterprise um from a leadership perspective i do think you know aappr or the original aspr a lot of us became committee chairs because we were the one person that put our hand up to volunteer so i've chaired over the years the education committee our newsletter committee our journal committee um worked on strategic planning, really helped hone in a lot what my leadership skills were and how do you get a seat at the table. And then I found when I went back to my home organization, when I was able to sit there and talk about our competitors across the country, and I knew what they were doing, and not because I read an article in Modern Healthcare, but because I sat next to the person at the table at that committee meeting that works for that organization. And I knew right from his mouth or her mouth what they were doing. A couple of them came to conferences with me and couldn't believe that people from these other organizations would come up to our booths at a conference and they knew us and they'd hug you and say hello and we would share information because it's not a very competitive industry. It's an industry of people that like to share right. and that's really incredible and, and that I've never seen anything else like it in my career anywhere else, but it's an organization of people that share and you learn from and you emulate yep. um, and I think that helps you become a natural born leader and then how do you really hone those skills? Right, because um, it's, yeah. it's taking that information that you get from a colleague and maybe not replicating it exactly, but making it your own. And, yeah. and that is a leadership skill to innovate something that somebody else has done yeah. and, and make it fit for what you need in, in your market. Because as, as you said, every market is different. Every yeah community is different and every physician is different and what they're looking for varies hugely across absolutely. the board. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, when I recruited in a small town, I would pick up the physician at the airport. It's no big deal to run over the airport and pick somebody up. Somebody flying into JFK or LaGuardia <laughs> or Newark, I, we're not driving to pick them up at the airport and the world's right. changed a little bit. There's your whole um, day right there. <laughs> that'd be a whole day. Exactly. Or I even remember um, saying one day I was in a, a session with other um, AAPPR members years ago and I said something. I said, we actually got an account with a local car service so I could have the car service pick the physician up at the airport and drop them off at the hotel when they were coming in the night before. And she raised her hand. She said, my hospital would never pay for limos. And, and she was from a small town. If you, you got a limo, it was for like a wedding. It was like a big deal. New York City car services, it was now it's Uber. But, um, yeah. but she was like, how, how can you justify spending that kind of money? And I looked at her and I was like, well, I, you know, for me to go pick them up, I'd have to get in a cab or get to car. She's like, well, would you drive your car there? And when I said, I don't have a car, again, that was not her world. So you do have to modify and adjust to what meets your community. But the in-house physician recruiter from Chicago knew exactly where I was coming from. Right. But, yeah. They could relate. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Absolutely. But absolutely. It's taking, it's taking that taking that information that you have from other organizations, taking a look at their best practices, seeing how you can incorporate those into your program, presenting your ideas to your leadership, 
letting them know where you got information from and saying, look, you know, this organization is doing it this way, this organization is doing it that way. A group of us were together last week and we were sitting around at a conference and we were tossing around ideas of best practice. And now as a result, I'm coming here and presenting this to us as something we may want to do. Um, and that I think really gives you credibility within your own organization. Um, Absolutely. We are yeah. the subject matter experts for Absolutely. recruiting physicians. Absolutely. And we don't realize still what a niche it really still is. Yep. Um, the questions that we still get. Um, if I had a nickel for every time somebody said to me, well, how is it different than other recruiting? Um, <laughs> and sometimes I look at it and go, well, I haven't done other recruiting. I'm going to say, well, how is what you're recruiting different from what I do? Um, and it really is extremely specialized. We're doing everything from soup to nuts, from sourcing to negotiating a contract to working with medical staff to have folks privileged, um, to getting them onboarded, and sometimes helping the family relocate or the individual single physician relocate. And sometimes that's even harder. How do you take a single physician and bring them into town that doesn't move in with a built-in support system? And how do you help them to become settled and make them comfortable? So. Yeah. I have done everything from helping to purchase blackout curtains when I worked in Alaska for somebody that moved up from the lower 48 to measuring for curtains on the Upper East Side of Manhattan with a physician's wife who was having a hard time moving from a big house in the suburbs a few hours away to moving to a small apartment on the Upper East Side of Manhattan that I thought was a pretty big apartment, but not when you're moving from a four bedroom house. Yeah, so. my, my grandmother equated it to shoving a size seven shoe it says size seven foot into a size five shoe <laughs> yep. absolutely absolutely and i look at it and say hey it doesn't take me you know a whole weekend to clean my house when you have a one right. a studio or a one bedroom you've cleaned it up and go out and play for the day but um but yeah so that that's definitely a very interesting concept but you really do get very involved in, in settling people into your community and your organization it is so important yeah so this past spring, spring yep. of 2020, your leadership yep. skills were absolutely put to the test when you and your organization and New York City as a whole yep. had an incredible surge in COVID-19 cases. Yep. What was that like? Um, I barely remember March through Memorial Day. Um, it was tough. Um, it was tough and I'm sorry if I get a little emotional. I had some- It's understandable. Yeah, so I had family members in the hospital at the same time we were working. Oh um, I had colleagues that you didn't know what was going on. You would call a colleague's mobile phone, you'd talk to them one day, the next day they weren't returning your calls. And then you found out later on that they had been admitted to say our IC, one of our ICUs. Um, so I got a call on, I think it was Sunday, the, I think it was the 8th of March. Um, I do remember I was taking Monday off, it was my birthday, I was gonna take the day off. And it was from one of my senior leaders and they said, we are going to have to really ramp up the number of physicians and providers we have within our health system, because that's when the numbers were just really starting to implode. Our ICUs were filling up faster than we could, than we could bring people in. Um, we were turning things like our cafeterias into an ICU. Um, the sports field up at Columbia University actually became a, an army field hospital. We actually had a group of folks come in that were retired military and helped us build two field hospitals that were set up. Everybody probably heard the Javits Center, which is the used convention center in Manhattan, became 
a field hospital, that wasn't set up as quickly as the health system setting up their own field hospitals. Um, yeah. So it became nuts. We set up um, what we did first. My team is very small. Um, at that point, we were a team of four. The fourth person had just joined us on January 6th, and now this was March. So luckily prior to that, she had done advanced practice provider recruitment, but she'd never done physicians. So we say her orientation was like orientation on steroids. Um, very proud of her. She actually just passed her second level of the AAPPR fellowship exam uh, oh, last great. weekend. So she was supposed to come to the conference for the first time, which obviously didn't happen. Um, but we knew our team was very small. So we literally put together, I sat down, I, we quickly wrote up you know, processes for how we do physician recruitment and how could we take it from being this long a time frame to this quick a time frame. Um, luckily, luckily, there were executive orders from the governor that we could take anybody who had a license in any one of the 50 U.S. states plus our territories to come in and work in New York. Um, we were able to do emergency privileging from a medical staff perspective because we all know hospital privileges take usually about 90 days. We were able, we were privileging people. They would fill out an application in the morning and we were privileging them at committee that night. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Never That's seen a process that life. usually takes weeks, if not months. Usually takes at least, yeah, at least as I say, 90 days, like three months is about an, a national national average for medical staff privileging. Um, we had to get people in. We had to put people up when everything was closing. Hotels were closing. We actually are, we basically had to come together as a team. So we put a process in place. We recruited other departments to come in and help us that didn't have as much going on with them day to day because then we were on shutdown. Like they shut down our business offices, our ambulatory practices were shutting down, and surge was shutting down. So it was really the focus was on the hospitals and the inpatient care going on there. So we recruited folks from some other departments. We had two administrators that usually manage service lines that came and worked with us. I had a team that usually works on strategy and position comp and things like that. We recruited them to help us. We had somebody from talent acquisition that never recruited physicians, but we brought her in. So we wound up having our team of four quickly became a team of 14. Wow. Um, and we did is then we had to train them on how to quickly do physician recruitment really fast. So we worked our marketing department. We set up a very quick social media campaign. So physicians could apply quickly. Applying meant going into boxes that then we had to get people to go in and weed things out. A lot of the physicians that wanted to volunteer to come in and help us um, were not the specialties we needed. So that was an interesting wake up call. Um, we needed intensivists. Right. We had, we had people, every specialty, dermatology, pediatrics, a ton of emergency medicine physicians, but our ER visits were going down. Our ICU was booming. So we needed certain specialties. Um, we reached out. We were lucky that we have two huge medical colleges and training programs. We reached out to a lot of our alumni, but then the states were starting to shut down. So we had a number of physicians that are out in the UC system in California that wanted to come in. And then, Cal then this UC system said, you can't go to New York because then when you come back, we don't want you coming in to work. Right. So that was tough. So we wound up bringing- You're in a race in, against time in you are totally in so a race, yes. many different ways. Yes. yes. Um, we had our talent side of the house that was just contact, that was contacting agencies and bringing in like hundreds of traveling nurses. You don't have that many traveling doctors across the country. 
So we were really kind of on our own. Um, so we did wind up, we took some of our positions that work at our academic institutions that maybe do anywhere between 20% and 70% research. And we said to them, you're not doing research right now, you're gonna do clinical. We would cross credential them to one of our other facilities and send them out to work. We had a lot of our physicians that were in our ambulatory offices that we were closing. We cross credentialed them and we put them in house. They were working as hospitalists. They were working in our fever tents. They were triaging people outside of the ER. They were working in the ICU if they had the skill set. Um, and then we were just lucky. We brought in, I think it was 200, last count was 287 physicians from across the country. Oh my that gosh. Did not work for us, that we brought them in from all over the United States. I think even two from Canada that we flew them in, we put them up in a hotel, we had to coordinate transport from the airport. Most of the restaurants weren't open. We got them the, like cards so they could get food for takeout. Wow. Um, we, yeah, so it was this whole massive effort. Our real estate department actually became our housing department. So real estate was literally coordinating hotel rooms or even dorm space. We were putting people up in the dorms at Columbia University um, because the kids had gone home from college, so we were putting physicians up in the dorms. But you put them yeah. up in the dorms, and even the hotels that were open, there was no room service. The restaurants were not open. So it was a crazy, crazy time. Um, we finally just divided and conquered. We divided people on our team by their skill sets, and some of them we trained them how to do. We had to set up a system to pay people. We had to set up a system to reimburse them for expenses. We had our finger on the pulse of what airlines were giving free flights. Some of them were doing free flights, but they didn't fly in certain markets. Um, sometimes the physician would be ready to fly in and the airline would cancel the flight. They would literally show up at the airport and as they walked up, they'd say, you'd look up at the board and it was canceled. Oh my gosh. Um, so it was, I, I kind of don't even remember it, but between our procurement department, um, as they say, procurement became transportation. Our strategic planning team was processing invoices. Um, we had a group huddle every morning. We were teaching people how to screen resumes, what questions to ask, talking to people, and then starting to coordinate with all the sites on what schedules they needed and when they needed people there. Um, wow. Yeah, yeah. So what, seven days what a week, amazing, very long days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, an amazing story and an amazing effort, you know, not just, on behalf of yourself, but your whole team, um, you know, kudos, kudos to you. The work that you did just went so far in your community. And it really it, did. And I think the piece too, and I, and I say to the team all the time, we are a team that's very much behind the scenes. You know, day to day, what we do, um, we help bring physicians in, we introduce them to the community. Somebody should be walking down the hall in the hospital and a physician will say to you, hey, Laura, did you meet Dr. So-and-so? And you're looking at them going, yeah, how you doing? How's your wife? How are the two kids? Like, how's the dog feeling? You know, um, we know right. them, we brought them in. But um, it really, as I say, it kind of took that. I said to the team, it put us up on a jumbotron. All of a sudden, physician yep. recruitment was like, how quickly can you get them and what can you do? And how can your team modify and adjust from what you're doing? Because we're used to doing searches. We're at the point now we were conducting interviews with a lot of people. All those interviews had to be canceled. We quickly now, a department that maybe wasn't dealing with the, the directly issue. They're like, well, we want to interview this candidate. And we're like, interview the candidate. We need to get like 45 intensivists in tomorrow to work in our ICU. So the epitome of modifying and adjusting. Yeah. Um, but our team also being very dedicated, knowing we were not on the front lines. My team does not work on the front lines. We're not patient facing. 
and right. you're a New Yorker and you're watching everything every day, you're watching these nurses, these doctors, these EMTs, our facility workers, the grocery store, anybody at the front lines that had to be there, when people were terrified and locking themselves in their homes, we at least felt like we were doing something that made a difference because we know how lucky we are to have those folks on the front lines. We had one of our physicians that work at one of our sites that run a huge ICU say to us, um, they know our team very well because we recruited for them for years. And they said, it made us feel so much better because we knew that you and your team had our backs and you were bringing in the Calgary. So when we brought in people to help, it meant they could go home and sleep for 10 hours. They could well, go home and take a shower. They can go home and see their family. And that was really pretty incredible. The work you do, the work all of our members do is so important to their communities, but particularly in a time of crisis, like you experienced this spring, yeah. um, you know, kudos for the work that you and, and your team did to make sure that you could take care of, of the patients and, and the people in your communities. Absolutely. Yeah. And one of the things a number of years ago, you know, we had taken a look at AAPPR and what we stood for. And we talked about what we do. And we turned around and said, you know, what do we do as a group of individuals? We transform healthcare in our communities. And it was even, even to me that I fully feel that we live, live it and breathe it on a regular basis. You're right, Liz, we weren't even just taking care of the patients that were at New York Presbyterian. We were taking care of New York City. We right. were taking care of our families, our next door neighbors, our colleagues, I mean, we had a physician come in to help us out temporarily that was taking care of somebody that my team works with at one of our hospitals every single day and helps save her life. I mean, that's about, that's about as close to home as it gets. Yeah. Um, and it really did show how important our role is in our organizations, and you're absolutely right, in our communities as a whole. Um, yeah. And it's, it's really pretty incredible. Um, and I think if I took a step back to think about it, we didn't have time to think about it. We just, right. You're in it. Did it. We just, yeah. we just did it. We just did it. Um, we had to support our colleagues. There were times we would all have meltdowns. It was exhausting. Um, I, I, I had a moment hit me when one of our, I was on the phone with one of our colleagues and it was Easter Sunday. And she said, can I go take a break for a half hour so I can do an Easter egg hunt with my kids? And I totally <laughs> forgot that it was Easter Sunday um, yeah. because it, the days just blended into the nights and the nights blended into the weekends. And, um, and then we had amazing positions from other organizations across the country, um, Intermountain Health System, um, Arkansas Medical Center, um, UCSF, um, Cleveland Clinic. And I had the uh, absolute um, privilege to work with those physicians. And we would do Zoom calls with their executives and the group of physicians that volunteered to get on a plane and come to New York. Um, I still have some docs from Cleveland Clinic and Intermountain and UCSF that call me and text me to ask how we're doing. Um, yeah. But some of them had never been to New York City. Um, and it was very interesting. I had one of them calling me one day, he was walking from the hotel in Midtown up to Cornell and he got lost. And he, I said to them, call me anytime. He called my cell and he said, Laura, I'm so sorry. He said, I think I'm turned around. And I'm like, okay, what street corner are you on? What are you staying? And I literally said, I'll stay on the phone with you as he was walking because there weren't people on the streets for him to even right. ask. And he was right. walking up and he got lost going to the hospital. And then on the other, my other phone, I was calling one of the secretaries like, okay, can you go outside, meet him in front? 
because as you know, Cornell, the entrance is on a side street. It's not on yes. York Avenue. So she actually walked out to York Avenue and I described him and she flagged him down and we got him into the building. <laughs> My gosh. Yeah, yeah. An amazing so, story. Yeah. So Laura, what's your advice to fellow recruiters? Um, I think probably a big piece of it is um, we do have an incredible organization. Um, and, and I do say that with all, I still learn something new every day from everybody I work with, acro again, across the country, not just in my market, not just in my region, but everywhere. Um, it's, you've got the educational resources of AAPPR, you've got the friendships, you've got the, the networking is unbelievable. It's second to none. You could text somebody, you could pick up the phone and call somebody. During COVID, I had members reaching out to me on my mobile phone, on LinkedIn, even on Facebook saying, I don't know if you remember me, I met you when I took this class and you taught me a couple of years ago. I'm thinking about you in New York City. We don't have it that bad in our town, but how are you doing there? So the networking is unbelievable. Um, the support, and as I say, even at that point in time, it was the support I needed. Getting those texts from people, getting that people that understood what we were going through um, was unreal. Take advantage of it. Listen, soak it up like a sponge. Um, we talk about modifying and adjusting. I mean, we had a turn on a dime. Think about any position interview you do. I think of, I, I remember many times I was doing a ton of recruiting for our department of neurosurgery. Neurosurgeries are many, many, many hours. They could be surgeries anywhere from seven hours to 10 hours to 12 hours. There's nothing worse than you have a candidate and the next interview is somebody that's got to run in for an emergency surgery. Now, what do you do with the person? You got to right. figure it out. How do you go take them for a community tour? How do, you, how do you really modify and adjust your day? We do that on a regular basis. So how do we just adapt ourselves to the environment on what's going on? We are a very, very, very important part of our organizations and our communities. Um, I take our jobs very seriously. We are bringing people into our communities that are taking care of, again, our colleagues, our friends, our family members. Um, and we are, I think we do more than we even realize we do. I don't think we realize the difference we do make in people's lives, again, behind the scenes. So we're bringing somebody in that's delivering your neighbor's baby. We're bringing somebody in that's maybe performing life-saving surgery on somebody a few neighborhoods away, a little child when they come into your children's hospital. Um, we're bringing in somebody that's um, helping somebody go through cancer treatment, you know, whatever the case may be. And it's a pretty big responsibility. Absolutely. So we have to care about what we do and really be passionate about what we do. And don't forget that you have the support of people from literally from Alaska down to Florida, from Hawaii up to Maine that do what you do and are there to support you on a regular basis, support you, pick you up when you're down, give you recommendations and be your biggest cheerleader when you have a success. And I think a big piece of it is, they say in recruitment, you're only as good as your last recruit. But I do think we need to step back and really celebrate our successes because they're huge. Absolutely. They really are huge. Um, and we're, we're really, as I say, we're very blessed as an industry to work in an industry that has such a big heart um, because we could recruit anything else, any other, you know, any other job under the sun. And we chose to do this and it's not always easy, um, but you've got to have some heart to do it. And, and as I say, rely on the support that you have 
from your association. It's second to none. Absolutely. And Laura, I can tell you have the heart, as does your whole team. And we are so fortunate to have you at AAPPR as someone that we can turn to for advice and guidance and, and just to hear your experience. It's so inspirational. I want to thank, thank you, you so much for taking the time to do this and, and to share your story and your words of wisdom. Um, thank you so much, Liz. And it, it's just amazing. I don't know if there's any other industry where people say to me, how do you have really good friends from North Dakota and Texas and, you know, Missouri? And it's from this industry. I mean, we really, you've got people, they're not just your colleagues. They really, really do become your friends. And when you're on the road and you're having a tough time or you need to pick me up, this is the group that's totally there for you. So if you're a new member, if you're new to the industry, just use us, you know, get connected with the group. It's a very open group and get involved is the other piece of it as well. I mean, again, some of my best friends I've met in this organization and, and some are now retired, some are still around, but it's an amazing organization. And again, we're very, very lucky to have it in our, in our worlds. Absolutely. Yeah. Laura, thank you so much for thank your time. Thank you, Liz. Thanks for doing this. And thank we'll be you, back Liz. with another episode of I Am AAPPR Podcast. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to the I Am AAPPR Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to stay up to date on our latest episodes. And for more information on AAPPR and the IMAPPR campaign, please visit our website, aappr.org.